0: Welcome to another episode of Animalias podcast, where every week we talk about uh, topics in the conservation and climate worlds. I'm James.
1: I'm Annalie. I'm Nare.
0: And this week, we've decided that we want to talk about the intersection of systemic racism and oppression with environmentalism and climate change. Uh, there's a lot that's been, of course, going on—an incredible movement we are in the midst of right now—and uh, just felt very, very important that we we talk about this intersection right now. Absolutely. I mean, I think
1: maybe we can like start with our own personal antidotes, but like for me, this Black Lives Matter movement is like especially personal, just because I. I'm in a relationship with an African-American man and I always kind of think about this like in the long-term picture of like when we start a family I will have black children and I don't want them to be living in a society like how it is currently so I think um, just personally I always try to consider how it's going to impact like the future generations and especially with So many issues like social issues, but also like the environmental connection, I don't think is is touched upon so much because it sometimes is looked at as like the second the second issue versus the actual first impact of the societal like frustrations and injustices. So, yeah, I think it's valuable that we're able to speak on that now.
0: Yeah. I mean, for, for me, there's been a lot of so much reflection going on and realizing for me that I was, you know, I was raised to treat people equally, uh, to not be racist. And I have incredible, uh, black friends in my life that I value dearly, but I wasn't raised to really understand systemic racism. Uh, it wasn't talked about, it wasn't touched on, Um, it wasn't talked about in my family. It wasn't talked about in my, my schools and it, it, that, that's been like very real to me that how there's been a sense of shame on my part and one hand to that I haven't done enough, that I haven't been proactive enough to challenge the system and, and wasn't sort of raised to do so. Um and, and a feeling of, you know, just incredible desire to, to, to make up for that time lost and to, to do more. Um, there's been shame on just my, my demographic. I mean, I'm a straight white male, which is sort of a trifecta of oppressive, um, demographics. And I mean, I'll be honest, like I, I have had time this week where I just felt so ashamed, uh, that I am a straight white male. Um, and I've lost in those moments, I've lost touch of me as an individual. And I look at me as a demographic. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I, there's just been a lot of shame. And then, and then I, and then in the end, it's been a lot of optimism and for me actually going to the demonstrations and, um, seeing how much positive energy and momentum And how many people of all walks of life and ages and races are joining in this proclamation right now to say enough is enough. We have to change the livelihoods of black Americans and that I really feel optimistic and positive that we can do this. So there's also been, you know, someone like me who traditionally sort of gets annoyed with the human species um, in general Um, and has feels helpless uh, with the human species because of you know my love for the for the natural world and and wildlife Um, I've really felt real optimism coming from um, from humans and the humans that are on the right side of this movement and the humans that are standing for this and and deciding to take sustained prolonged action so I've gone from reckoning to shame, to optimism and many other sort of, uh, emotions in between.
2: Have you, um, have you guys had any, uh, what they call difficult conversations through this, um, week with any people you're close to or, you know, anything of that kind? Cause I think one of the interesting things happening right now is the questions that we were all worried about asking sometimes, or would just ignore are being asked more frequently so have you
1: had any of those personally i i've had conversations with my immediate family there's the issue of like police brutality and then there's the issue of racism and whenever we were having dinner and speaking i like brought up the protests i brought up um you know all of the injustices that are happening, especially because um, George Floyd was like a native Houstonian, which is like where my family lives. And it, it hit like, especially close to home, but also whenever we touch on the topic of racism, like one thing that I like, I always bring up is like, um, it's not like white against black. It's like racism is embedded in every single culture because of like the way that it is, so embedded in the systems. And so, like, I was bringing up the fact that, I mean, personally, my family's background is from Mexico, and we, like, there's a very present um, discrimination against Native people there. It's, like, even the word, um, like, Native in Spanish is, like, a derogatory term. And um, so I was kind of speaking to them about, like, how even... Like, for example, we talked about my grandmother and how she was raised in um, like she's like a very light skinned woman with blue eyes. Like she obviously had like the physical um, privileges and how even though, you know, she is somebody that we love dearly, like she is racist in a lot of ways in terms of how she treats like Native people. Um, So I think, yeah, I've definitely been having those conversations with family around me yeah, those, these conversations have been super critical, important, and have definitely made me feel like, um, we've had to do a lot of unpacking in terms of, you know, I guess, like, the discomfort of people trying to have these conversations, but at the end of the day, like, it's, I don't really think they're uncomfortable. I think it's, like, sometimes people just don't want to confront, like, the reality of things, or, like, maybe, maybe, like, the privileges they have had, um, but... Yeah. I mean, I know James, you said you spoke to family as well. How was your experience?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I have family in the full spectrum, some that, uh, um, are closer to, to myself in ideology and some that are further. And I think it's really important to talk to those, to those further right now. Um, my, my father and my stepmom particularly have a very close relationship with uh, with the police because my stepmom's brother is a New York City police officer, and not just a New York City police officer, but to really give him his fair due, a hero from nine eleven, um, who was one of the first responders, and you know they have had this, so they they have had particularly difficulty with this sort of like generalization against police. Um, and I think it's important, you know, I've tried to listen to them. Um, and I can get caught up in that too, uh, to be honest, of just like, you know, F the police. Um, and you know, yeah, I'm sure some of them are good, but you know, until all the bad ones are out of there, I don't want to hear about it kind of as attitude. Um, so I I've with them, it's been a lot more talking about the police brutality. Cause that is a very, um, personal topic for them. Um, and they've had, and they, they lean, obviously they they bias towards, towards police and I bias towards, um, black Americans on this topic. And, um, yeah, we've had, it's been difficult. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna recite all of our conversations right now, but it's been, it's been difficult, but I think we've been making progress, um, on on finding a common ground that accepts that the brutality is, they accept the brutality is there and that it needs to be eradicated, um, you know, in a, in uh, in a holistic manner. And that uh, changes need to be made to how we qualify police, how we maintain police, how we fund police, um, how we, how we prosecute police. Um, and And then, and only then, you know and alongside of that i admitted that you know for the the cops that do, are do the right things such as my step brother and, and who are heroes because they are out there i mean I, I it's not fair to say all cops are are you know bad actors um and looking at it from both sides so th- that's been those have been some difficult conversations for sure
1: i mean personally i just like disagree i think if you're part of an institution that's complicit with like criminal activity like and you just don't like you don't stand up against that then you are part of the bad apples like I don't know I think it's like I I acknowledge that there are people that are well-intentioned and that are like you said like in certain events like they've been heroes but also turning the blind eye or just saying like I don't know I think it's frustrating because one part of it is like the active part of it. And then the other part of it is like being complicit. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And I brought that up, honestly, actually. And, and I'll give you, you know, their response to me like verbatim. Because I'm curious, Annalie, I'll, I'll tell you how I responded, but I'm actually curious how you would respond to this. Because um, you and I are very much a deal agree on the ideology, right? We might not always agree on methodologies, but we agree on the ideology, I, I believe. Um, their response to me is, okay, well, there are racist teachers out there and, and I, and, and there's been, there's been accounts of them and there's been accounts of, um, and they just gave this as an example, uh, teachers who discriminate, um, teachers who give more time to the white kids in their class and sort of, uh, disregard, um, uh, people of color in their class. Um, this is just their, their response to me. So until that ends, should we um, should we hold all teachers accountable and say all teachers right now are bad actors until they get rid of um, the, the truly bad teachers? And that's what they posed to me when I literally, not to the to verbatim, but basically said along the lines of what you said. I'm curious what your response to that would be because I was put in that position where I had to respond to that.
1: I mean, honestly, I think that I mean, personally speaking, I've had a lot of racist teachers and uh, it really fucks up, like, your holistic education. So if 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 there are identifiers of, like, a racist teacher, she shouldn't be a teacher. Like, so I'm not saying, like, fire all teachers, but I'm saying, yeah, literally filter through and look at, like, the evidence of, like, how has a teacher, like, been more discriminant against students of color? Have they made remarks or because even when you like the education aspect of it, there is, there are like analyses that look at how part of it is again, systematic, how black students will four times are four times more likely to end up in detention or to get more severe punishment than their white peers. So part of it is institutional and it's like, the way that there there is no bias training in like the teacher programs just the same way there is no bias training in police like training um so i guess to that response like i would say like filter through and there has to be i think like someone like a board that has like the students um, the student's future and in mind, and is able to distinguish and actually like look at the complaints and not just brush it off because that can have like severe long term impacts yeah I think they're result-
0: saying the, I think they're saying the same thing about police, but I think where just to be clear, like they their their point and i and was. And I wanna be clear too that I, I'm not on their side of this debate, but I think it's really important that we listen if we wanna actually change minds, right? And 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 change the system. Um, we can't just surround ourselves amongst our own sort of echo chamber of people that agree with us um and just talk amongst ourselves. We have to go out and have these hard hard conversations with people who are behind. And they're there's like what would would you say though, Anneli, that if a teacher is not who's not oppressing, who's not racist, who's who's a great teacher, is not also going out of his or her way to change the teaching system around racism. Let's say, you know, she's she or he is one of those teachers that has a classroom of a hundred kids and is working fifteen hours, sixteen hours a day just to sort of keep things going, which is very common in our public schools, and just can't do anything beyond just being a great teacher for the student she has from just an energy and bandwidth standpoint, would you say that person is part of the problem? Because that's where I think their point was on the police is like, are you, are you willing to say the cops that are good actors, but are not doing enough to challenge and change the system internally? If you're saying they're part of the problem, are you saying that teacher is part of the problem as well?
1: Yes, because she has a voice. Like, I'm not saying she needs to be like, um, you know, devoting like 30 hours a week to this, but if she can be part of like a community that maybe has like a higher advocate for um, like bias training or, but yeah, essentially it would be yes. I think that even if you are part of the system, then you have a responsibility to still try to change it unless you are willing to turn the other cheek and say, oh, it's acceptable because I'm quote unquote doing what I can, but there's always more to do. Like that's my perspective.
2: Um, I, I have another question there. I, um, we were just discussing this idea that the movement this time compared to the civil rights movement is completely decentralized. So there are no actual leading figures who are leading the whole movement people are just organizing themselves in different cities uh, in different countries and coming together to stand for uh, black lives um, but as we're talking about change obviously there has to be some systematic action or um, list of actions that have to be taken some sort of a program at least that's what we're used to happening right to organize things and demand change so how do you think like the next steps through the protests are going to be shaped like annalee talked about an interesting and i think very important institute like education and bias education and training in all of this institution so who is going to make this office and how are they going to get accepted on a legal level and like how do you imagine all of that happening because i think for a lot of people it's very hard to see beyond people getting very angry and uh you know Mm -hmm. standing with uh police signs and so on and like you mentioned your um dad and your stepmom people who do not who are not on the streets for them like it's almost impossible to see beyond angry mobs this is how they portray the whole movement and, and, and they don't understand what can happen beyond that right and it's important to see what those steps are i think
0: yeah I think what we'll see, and we started seeing it already is through a bill that was was um, issued by Democrats, I believe this today or yesterday. But um, I think the first step of this systematic change is likely going to start with um, new regulations around around police and policing, and that's just, not, that's just because police brutality is the sort of um, ground zero of this of this movement. And I think that is the first institution that needs immediate addressing, needs immediate change um, on a national level. And there's lots of things that need to change. Um, We, you know, we could probably spend a whole several hours talking about just the changes that are needed amongst um, our our system of policing. But that is probably, I think, what we're going to see as the first um, system change. And then, you know, we all, all of us, are accountable for keeping that momentum going to changing other systems, such as education, as Emily pointed out, um, such as our food industry and access to food, such as our healthcare industry, which is incredibly discriminatory um, in, in so many ways. Um, we all are responsible for keeping the momentum. I think there will be changes in policing that are already happening. There was a bill pushed forward this morning um, that are but it's important it's so critical that that's not the end of the system changing i think that's where it's going to start but all of us in our own ways are accountable for keeping the momentum going and changing other systems as well that would be my response
1: and also i mean i think thinking about like next steps like something that i hadn't realized was like um i guess the qualifications that you, the united states police policemen need or even like the length of their program I don't know if y'all know this but it's like less than 20 weeks about like 800 and so hours and to put it in perspective like to become like a hairdresser you need about 1500 hours so like double that amount of time so something as simple as like changing the requirements um or like I said before like including bias training and when we look a lot at a lot of the cases so many of these officers had previous like encounters or had had committed crimes before and they were kind of just pushed under the rug or forgiven because they were police officers so I think it it starts with like I guess in the policing realm um, increasing those requirements so not everyone can just you know sign up and be equipped with all of this machinery and like the power to do so like so many violent acts. Um, Also, it just giving, I guess, like filtering through people's past and looking at the crimes that they've committed. I mean, even one statistic that was really concerning for me too was that when you look at police officers in the United States, 40% of their police force have been accused of like domestic violence. So like there's patterns that are so obvious and are clear, but um, you know, whoever is in charge is just turning like their eye. There's,
0: there's, there's a ton that needs to be done on the on the police front. Men, mental health is also something I, I think we need to subject Police to random, just if we do random drug tests. um, Or I mean, we're supposed to. I don't even know if they're actually enforced. Um, We should be doing randomized, uh, you know, tests for certain levels of anxiety and stress. And you know, if if you if you're if you're above those levels, uh, you shouldn't be on the streets. Um, Maybe you're suspended without pay and work, or suspended with pay, sorry, to work on those. Um, We also need mental health resources for them as well. Maybe you're you're not on the streets when you're having those issues and your tenure and your test results come back, um, you know, above the, 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 required thresholds. Um, and you have to be subject to office work. Um, but I, I just think like we can't have, um, you know, police on the streets, uh, that are not mentally equipped, uh, to, to, to be there. Um, and we need to hold, you know, to me, that that's another of many things that needs to happen is uh, we need to have standards of mental health um, required to be on the streets as a police officer, because there's just no way, even with better training and, and filtering um, that, you know, we should be giving guns and immunity to people that uh, are not, you know, are, 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 are suf- deep, deeply suffering mental, you know, m- mental health issues. They just there's no way they're gonna. We can count on those people in those situations to make the right decision again and again.
2: Yeah, that's um, not. I think randomized mental health checks uh, uh, should be critical to like um, maybe starting from the police because they they are under a lot of stress and they make all these decisions that cost people their lives. And their freedom so um, it's very important there but like across the system with teachers and uh, there are so many critical workers that that need this and have no access to it so that's that's a whole other topic that's big enough to kind of do a separate conversation on. Um, I was um, maybe uh, we can talk about Animalia but as I have my own business that I'm growing right now I've been thinking a lot about um, you know, as a business or if you are you have employees and you're leading them towards a common goal and you're obviously hiring as well and fundraising and so on, like what are what are the practices that you need to implement to uh, be proactively anti-racist and, and to start to change the way people think about things and to start having this conversations. I don't have a plan yet, but I was curious if um, both at Anim- Animalia and, you know, attention as well, James, like, what are your thoughts around this? Like creating a company culture that's embracing um, what's happening right now, but also ongoing contributes to it in a proactive way. Have you already thought about it?
0: Well, Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I would say I've I've been thinking about it, but I don't have all the answers yet Um, because I also don't think this is the time. In this situation, we should sort of rush out the first answers that come to mind as well. I think, like, we really should be thoughtful, Um, but still, but still, um,
2: the thing I'm scared of is virtue signaling. If that makes sense, like, I don't. The one thing that I see like I don't know social media is an interesting kind of beast right I'm sometimes I'm even worried about speaking out instead of actually doing something because um yeah I just I feel there will be like a lot of virtue signaling and and that really worries me and maybe it's it's bad that right now that's what I'm worried about but it's just the human kind of nature so um I guess I've been doing like a lot of work digging in and trying to figure out like what is the what is the stuff that is going to be uncomfortable and difficult for me to do and will actually make a difference versus uh, what will look good on the surface, which is so easy to do and maybe it's still necessary. So there's some conflict happening there as well. And I was wondering if you guys are going through any of that.
1: Nari, can you elaborate what virtuous signaling means?
2: Um, it's when people um, join, like right now, um, in for example, among my friends or professional circles and stuff, not standing up for this movement um, is kind of uh, frowned upon and everybody's standing up for it, right? So there will be people um, who will, even if they don't think in the same way, will be scared to ask the right questions to change the way they think and will just show solidarity just because they're following kind of the flock and they're doing what everybody else is doing to show that they are on the right side of the history because everything is so transparent and you're on social media and you know, your whole networks are virtual. So there will be a lot of stuff that's not intentional but is out there because everybody else is doing that right now and that's the thing to do. Um, and, and that's kind of a a bit of a conflict for me cause I, um, like I myself see, I judge people who who are silent and I have a lot of friends who have been silent through this time. And sometimes I think maybe, maybe I shouldn't, maybe they are taking their time to ask the right questions and, you know, so virtue signaling is this process when you want to show you're a part of every, what, everyone else's cause when you don't actually believe it, or you haven't gone through the process, but, you know, you feel obliged to show that on the outside, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. In in my spheres, I've heard, um, the phrase performative activism, which is Mm -hmm. basically a similar thing. Um, and I guess a lot of, like a lot of brands, for example, have, you know, have like put out their statement or something, but there's, but then there are like, for example, fashion brands that steal from young black designers and like they say like we support black lives, but then they turn around and like continue to take. So, yeah, I, I agree. I see. I've, I've been seeing a lot of comment on that, that aspect.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I try not to be the sort of decider of what's right and wrong for all people. I can only sort of do it for myself. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not a social media, like, active person and, uh, to begin with, um, I don't, I don't think this is the time to sort of brag about what you're doing and what your ideas are. Um, if you want to show some solidarity and, and, you know, in, in one or two posts or something, I think that is, is okay. And, um, for me, I did that, you know, um, I guess now 10 days ago. Um, with, uh, and, and and that was enough for me to just, cause, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I also get worried about how many people are taking to social media and just sort of joining the movement for the social currency of it, but aren't going to take any change, aren't going to do anything. And, um, you know, but I also recognize social media is one of the reasons this movement, you know, is so decentralized and is so widespread right now. Um, Um, we can't discredit that either. So it's on both sides, um, in the good and bad, at least for me, I, I don't think, you know, people should be, should be minimal about, um, and thoughtful about, um, their solidarity posts and be more focused on what action they're going to take. And it's more important to take that action and to talk to people close to you and to, you know be part of the change in, 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 uh, in some way than it is to sort of talk about it on social media. Um, I also get really worried that we are going to like, a lot of people are going to end up in this like contest of on who's doing more on the action side too. And everybody is coming at this from a different standpoint, different resources, different skills, different life situations. Um, we can't turn this into a competition around who's doing the most, uh, and we can't make have this movement be about you know, only those doing the most. This movement should be for everybody who stands against this unequivocally and for everybody who is taking some action, who is being proactive in some way um, towards the right direction, given their circumstances. But I really hope this doesn't turn into a competition.
1: I had a, a really powerful call with um, some community leaders from LA and we were... Basically, just brainstorming different ways that we could use our strengths to, you know, continue the movement. And it was really powerful, I think, because, for example, a lot of the people on the call were artists, like myself. Um, others were. There was one guy who actually works at Hit Record, which James, I think you know, but um, he he's like a tech person, so he was working on like developing an app that would essentially like help promote black businesses and um, could tell more like black stories. Um, There were artists who were working on projections, like projecting art onto like city hall. And there were just a lot of different innovative ways. Like one of the ways that like I was pitching to like a couple of like the editors that were there were just using my like the fact that I know Spanish and that I can reach that audience to like translate anti-racism documents and like spread them the same way that we're seeing them spread on Instagram and such and what I got like the biggest takeaway from that call was just like you're saying like we all have we're all coming at this and from a different place and I don't really think that I hope it doesn't get to the point where it's like a competitive thing, because I do think people are realizing that there's more than one way, like, personally, like, um, yeah, I just think sometimes I was feeling similar, like, I want to do more, I want to do more. But also realizing that we have limits. And also that everyone has a specific role. It's not everybody doing the same thing. It's um, everybody kind of taking their talents and and using what they have, um, to amplify.
0: I agree with that. Um, totally. And we also, we need to hold each other accountable, right? I mean, I think accountability should come in small circles of people close to you. Um, rather than this, like, you know, social media, um, uh, holding people accountable, but who's, who's doing the right thing, who's doing the most. Um, mm-hmm. Just because again, there's, there's, there's such variance in people's life situations. So like, I really am thankful that I have some, someone like Annalie in my life who, um, you know, I have a, a kinship with and someone who uh, we, uh, we know each other really well, but I also can count on Annalie um, to hold me accountable and to, to help, you know, um, continue to, to, to push me. Um, and inspire me, but I, but also I shouldn't be relying on Anna Lee, um, to do action. Right. I, 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 Mm -hmm. I need, I, I'm going to be doing it with, with, or without her involvement. Um, but I do, I do, and I am very thankful that I have someone like her who is so thoughtful and, um, and is a deep thinker, um, to, to talk to and to, to, to help hold me accountable on a, on a going forward basis. So I do think, um, and I'm now trying to serve that role to some of my family members. Um, so I, I do think it's important that in small circles, the people closest to us, we do, we do continue to share and, uh, hold each other accountable, um, on a going forward basis.
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, one of the first things I did, I actually have, um, two friends here, both of them are, well, one of them is in LA, but kind of just back and forth in London, she was leading, um, the diversity effort at product Hunt, and then she has she's she's been in this for years before this movement kind of training and doing workshops at big organizations like the b b c and Financial Times and stuff trying to teach people about bias and how to overcome it and stuff so um I knew these people before, but we never really we talked about all sorts of things we never really had deep conversations about this, which is which is kind of odd if you think about it, because first of all, it's their job and that's what they do. And I, I find it amazing, but like we never, and maybe because it's really, or it has been until now awkward, um, for a white person to talk about race and, and you're like used to, and, and I have been used to, um, just, you know, thinking that, I'm not racist. I love these people. I love what they're doing. Like then that that's fine. That's kind of enough. You know, we shouldn't really touch upon the subjects because I also felt like if I want to be helpful or comment on what they're doing, then, you know, I don't really have the understanding. Um, so for the first time, I've known them for like five or six years, we've had this um, conversations and I've, I've reached out. I mean, it's, it's not even, it's an ongoing cause they've been bombarded with questions from loads of people like myself, um, to, just to figure out what, what can be done and how to hold yourself accountable and how to, to, you know, um, to keep doing this, not, not just, uh, make it like a short term, um, short term thing. So, uh, yeah, I completely agree on the small group, um, accountability, um, and, um, I'm 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 very I've been very frustrated with media and what's been happening and so on for like a while before all of this happened but um James is right at least now um despite us commenting on how low the humanity uh, how low humanity in our species have, <laughs> uh, have gone like now we're seeing the other side of it and it's just so um it's really great uh, especially at a difficult time like this when you know um a lot of people are suffering and it's it's not really equal how people are suffering and uh, it affects some a lot more than others so um, I think it's it's beautiful that we have this big force to uh, come against all of that's been happening so far. Um, Do you guys want to talk about um, the diversity in environmentalism as well and um, you know the voices that are heard there and, and the problems with being whitewashed um, like the whole sphere being whitewashed, or because you know, I mean, you know much more about it than I I do because I've I've started to learn about this things through you, so probably you should comment on that.
0: Well, I think Anna, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. We want to kind of a dedicate a whole podcast to that topic and specific specifically because uh-huh. um, there's a lot to talk about there. So maybe uh-huh. maybe just sort of um, to sort of wrap up this discussion we're having now maybe we each just share the what the intersection is in our mind of uh, what we're thinking about the intersection of uh systemic racism and um environmentalism just as a you know uh, just kind of high level um which will which can which can and will include um topics like that but i believe um we're gonna sort of go deep into that topic in particular, um, with, uh, with a whole dedicated episode as it's, as it's, uh, deserving.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, one thing that I, I would touch on was that, is that social justice, like when you look at environmentalism, social justice is like embedded into it. You can't, you can't separate it. Um, and it is true that marginalized communities not only are they affected by like discriminatory practices but they're also heavily impacted by like environmental environmental horrors really and I think when we talk about trying to create a better world um environmentally um the social justice conversation is sometimes not included. So, yeah, we'll definitely be forthcoming episode on the deeper intersections between environmentalism, social justice. But really just understanding that you can't you can't separate these things that when you're trying to stand up for the well-being of the planet, that that means standing up for everybody and that includes the animals the plants and the human beings
0: yeah I'm with 100 with you and we, we, uh, we, we did talk about this a little bit too in our last episode with trying to you know defining veganism as standing against the exploitation of humans and non-humans not just non-humans okay. um, but yeah these things are completely interrelated and I mean you don't need to look far to see it I mean let's take the the two you know, climate related um, disasters we've had this year in the bushfire, Australian bushfires and COVID-19. Um, you know, COVID-19 just here in the U.S., right? 23% of deaths from COVID-19 are Black Americans, but yet they represent 13% of the population. Um, and that's primarily due to, you know, having a lack of uh, access to, to good healthcare, which is discriminatory and uh, and is another racist system we have in this country, our healthcare system, Um, amongst other factors. That's that's a big one on the COVID-19 specific issue and why it has disproportionately hurt um, Black Americans in this country. So there you have a great example, right, of uh, great, not in terms of its outcome, but sort of uh, telling um, Mm. and, you know, can't ignore it, that this pandemic, which absolutely, I don't, I don't care about whatever conspiracy theories are out there that it was like a nefarious person in a, in a virology lab in Wuhan. This pandemic came from our continued, um, exploitation of wildlife and all pandemics in the last, you know, uh, uh 20 years have come from the exploitation of wildlife and, and livestock. Um, that is just science. And uh, this pandemic has disproportionately in this country, um, and I can only, I don't know, and I'm sure in other parts of the world, but I only know the data in the US, uh, has disproportionately killed and hurt black communities. Absolutely. So there you have like a a tight correlation and you take the Australian bushfires, um, another example of uh, a, you know, sort of a a massive natural disaster um, that wasn't. And and this my issue with one of my issues with the bushfires is people use that word ah oh, it's a natural disaster, well yes there are uh, there are naturally born fires that can start but it was it's not really natural it's because of the way the um, uh, the sort of the, the elite communities you know in this case Australia treat the natural land and have disregarded indigenous people and indigenous practices for maintaining land is why it was so susceptible to such a, to, to, to fire, uh, breaking out in such a wide way that has shown to be proven in the science and who was hurt the most from the Australian bushfires. It was the indigenous people in Australia that have been marginalized and oppressed for hundreds of years there. In fact, I still have conversations with people, um, here in the U S that don't realize there are indigenous people even in Australia. A lot of people here in America think Australia, like Sydney is Australia. It's, that Australia is just a, 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 a big island with lots of white people. But that's <laughs> not true. That's not true. It's just those the stories of indigenous people are buried. Right. They're not, they're not talked about. They're not, especially they're barely talked about in Australia, let alone outside of Australia. And so Mm -hmm. absolutely it, it impact those. And, you know, we, uh, that's why we pointed our, our Australian t-shirt on Animalia towards, um, an indigenous fundraiser and it's, it's hurt the indigenous people and the wildlife the most. Um, and you know, the people who are living out on the outskirts of Australia and Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane, um, they were able, for the most part, to sort of avoid the direct damage of it, um, but their practices are really what made it, uh, you know, made it such a big issue. And um, and so it wasn't just a miracle, natural disaster, a miracle from Mother Nature that was that was terrible. It was because of the way we we manage our agriculture, um, the way we manage our, our natural lands. So these are two examples, and here we go headed into... What looks to be a volatile and and bad hurricane season in the United States, which again is climate change related because the more greenhouse gas emissions that are um, in the atmosphere, the more water um, gets trapped in the atmosphere. And the more water gets trapped in the atmosphere, the more tropical storms we have. Like these things are basic science. Um, And who do the hurricanes most? Who have the hurricanes hurt most in the past? Marginalized communities. I mean, Anna has felt that first on with the flooding in Houston. What Was that 2016, Anna? What was the...
1: I think 2017, yeah.
0: 2017, 2017. Devastating. Uh, Hurricane Harvey, right? Hurricane Harvey?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And um, and that who, who did that hurt the most? It hurt the most marginalized communities um, who, who don't have sort of the, the savings and the financial um, wherewithal to sort of, um, you know, uh, push through these losses, who don't have access to health care um, um, when they're sick and injured from these disasters, um, who are, um, living in condensed sort of, um, uh, urban centers that, um, you know, can be completely devastated, um, and, and, and overnight. Um, and we're getting, we're going through, we're about to go through the same thing. So it's unquestionable that the biggest, um, uh, problems that arise from 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 climate change and from lack of taking care of our environment hurt marginalized people all over the world the most and will continue to do so so these things are very intertwined um, and it is on the it is not, and we can't say well okay well then marginalized people should stand up and 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 fight for climate change give me a break marginalized people are standing are trying to like pay the bills. They're trying to, to stay alive. They're trying to keep food on their table. They're trying to get to a doctor who, like you know, their their coverage doesn't doesn't allow them to get to they're, they're, it is on the people with the most comfort, uh, people that have um that are not marginalized. And I'm looking at myself in that in that in, in that in a, in a big way. And people in my socioeconomic shoes to do the work. To fight climate change, to fight and 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 fight in this environment, um, uh, fight for the environment, so we don't continue to disproportionately hurt marginalized uh, communities. Um, and so these things are very, very interwoven. Um, and the, and and you don't need to look past 2020 to to see that.
2: Facts, yeah, for sure. Um. I think uh, intersectionality is a great tool to also kind of understand the systemic nature of everything that's going on. Because um, I've heard like a lot of um, opinions or arguments saying there are good and bad people, people with, with biases and, and not. But, um, you know, uh, in the developed world, it, the issue is definitely not systematic and that's an exaggeration and stuff. And I think looking at it from, from the angle of intersectionality becomes so evident how everything is so ingrained in the system and it's like one vicious cycle that's very hard to get out of. So, um, yeah, I think absolutely, uh, you know, people who have the most privilege, the most opportunity should be vocal and put a lot of effort to make it right. Um, to be able to enable everyone else uh, make the right steps because this is everybody's fight. So, um, anyway, when I this. when I say that, I I talk about myself so first and then everybody else.
1: Well, I hope we can like inspire people to just continue having these conversations um, and tuning in and being active um, because obviously this is. This isn't um, like a one-time thing. This is basically a constant way that you have to live fighting for justice really.
0: Yeah. And it's not, it's not easy. It's not supposed to be, you know what I mean? I I, like, it's, it's, it's going to take effort. It's going to take hard conversations. It's gonna, it's going to take moments where you you do feel helpless. It's going to, take moments where you fall over. It's going to take moments where you make mistakes. I, I've made mistakes. I'm going to make them again. Um, and, and the reason I'm going to make mistakes is is because I'm going to try. Right. right. And, and like, you, you can't, um, you can't spend a, a, a lifetime of trying, um, to fight for change and justice without making mistakes because, those things come together. What I what all you can try to do is all you you can really try to do is just not make the same mistake twice and learn from the mistakes as you as you as you you come out there and surround yourself with people who you know have the both the the honesty and the compassion to let you know when you're making a mistake, but the compassion to sort of um, still stand by you if you're willing to uh, acknowledge that and 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 iterate and change. Um, so you know I we need to also just be aware of that too. And uh, we need to solve these things with, with proact proaction. We need to solve these things with ambition and creativity. We also need to solve them with empathy, compassion, love, optimism. Um, These are all the things that are really going to like together create change. And um, we have to make this as inclusive of a movement um, as we can. Uh, And I think that's been the thing to me that's been so great to see these last two weeks is it really is inclusive. Um, there are people so many walks of life joining. Um, and there's no question, like when I stepped into, you know, I stepped into the demonstration yesterday. Um, it was funny because we're like chasing it downtown. You're trying to find a parking spot where it's like just far ahead of a march. So you can like get over to it in time. It's like kind of an interesting game, just sort of like chasing, uh, the, 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 the march and trying to like find a parking spot that allows you to enter it. But once, once we, once I did, you know, as, as, as I jumped into the, the procession, there was no, there was nobody there who first like asked my information and what have I done in the past? and What am I doing in the future and qualifying me if I can be part of this movement or not? There wasn't that, but it was just open arms, right? It was just like, you're here, uh, thank you for being here. Let's keep going. This isn't this isn't about any one of us individually, but the more of us we have, the more visibility this has, and um, you know the more likely we are to really enact change. And, and it's it a very inclusive movement right now. Um, and uh, you know even even for cops or you know for the, for the police out there, you know the movement accepts you too if you're willing um, to stand up for it if you're willing to stand against. Um, stand up for change in, in, in police brutality and in the way our police operates, um, if you're willing to be out there and be with the protesters and to pr- serve them, to protect the protesters, not, um, you know, uh, not attack them, if you're willing to serve them as you should be doing, you're welcome in the movement too. Like this is a very, very inclusive movement.
2: I, I just remembered uh, one of our podcast guests, uh, Gaia, uh, said... Um, and I've been thinking about it for for a long time after that. That um, you know how people have been talking about uh, going back to normal um, since COVID nineteen has happened. And one of the things she said is that you, um, what people don't realize, especially the older generation, is that um, younger people and and all of us together right now are never going to afford to be complacent anymore you cannot just the threat is so big and things are changing so fast you cannot afford to there's go there's not going to be you know the normal that we were used to um so i think it's very evident that that's what's happening now and that's what's you know the future is going to bring as we're all facing this collective challenge so um yeah absolutely shall we wrap up
0: yeah. I think we can wrap up for this one. Um, appreciate. Uh, yeah. Appreciate you both. And um, and yeah, let's just, let's just keep, keep fighting. Let's keep fighting for social justice. Let's keep fighting for environmental justice. Um, you know, black, this is a year of reckoning black Americans and mother nature have both sort of made clear this year that enough is enough. And that uh, this just can't continue um, like it's been. So let's. I can uh, hear the stand.
2: police in your background. I know. I know. I know. Good. Good finish there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um. Yeah. That was. That was. Uh, <laughs> what yeah, <interesting> timing. <laughs> um. Yeah. Well. I. Yeah. I think we can wrap things up. Um. And. Um, yeah. We. If anybody wants to talk to us too. Um. About what's going on, feel free. Uh, We're here for our community and our followers as well. And um, we'll just, we'll keep, we'll keep fighting.
1: Absolutely. Till
0: next time.